This is the Fight Back Podcast, hosted by Georgia Berry. If you're passionate about martial arts, mental health, and women lifting up women, then stay right where you are, babe. This podcast is for you. You need to know that nobody shapes me but me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Fight Back podcast. My guest today is Daniela Valzel. I definitely butchered that. We practiced it a few times. Look, I apologize, but my German, my worldliness is is just going (laughs) to keep expanding, I think, as I keep getting incredible international guests on the podcast. So Daniela is an embodied facilitator. Uh, She is a mindfulness teacher and she has a wealth of experience in martial arts. So I'm super excited to get to know her through this conversation, just as you're all along for this journey. So Daniela, can you please introduce yourself to everybody? Yeah, with pleasure. You did very well on my name. So um, yeah, welcome everybody. Uh, nice to be here. Uh, yeah, we, we just talked before, like, what is my title? And I find it really, really hard to, to narrow myself down because I'm still in a finding process around this. So my background is in police work. I worked for 10 years in the German police forces. I was in Afghanistan with the German police project team and work mainly train police, a little bit of uh, crime defense and uh, this kind of stuff. And I quit police uh, eight years ago already. And um, after this, I went intensively studying with um, my Aikido teacher, Miles Kessler in Tel Aviv. I was a live-in student in Uchideshi for two and a half years with him and also Patrick Cassidy, like uh, shuttling between them. And when I received my black belt in Aikido, it was time to move on. And I went to the Netherlands where I'm located now. That was five years ago. And I dove deep into mindfulness. Uh, I had some meditation experience from Mats Kessler already. And then I uh, dove deep into mindfulness as a secular way of practicing meditation. And I'm mindfulness teacher, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, working mainly with uh, university students. And uh, these days I'm organizing the embodiment conference as well. So, uh, yeah, and some, some background in embodiment, embodied facilitator course with Mark Walsh last year. So taking, taking a lot of um, things uh, from, from many different areas and bringing them together. That's me. That's you. We're going to dig into so many different elements to that. Um, and I want to keep the theme close to martial arts, given that that is the theme of this podcast. So, of course, you learned a lot of combat skills when you were a police officer, correct? Or I'm not sure. It depends, right? <laughs> so the first, the first 10 years, what was your experience with, with learning combat skills? Um, I started learning combat skills already as a child. I did some karate when I was five or six and I needed to stop for growing problems and it broke my heart. I loved it and I couldn't go back until I was um, grown up. There was a little bit of uh, judo we did in school, which I loved. 
Um, and I, I was always like a little bit, um, a little warrior. I was always drawn to, to anything which had to do with martial arts or with fighting. Um, not because I was a great fighter. I hated to fight. I hated conflict. Um, but the, the, the whole concept around this honorable uh, warrior saving people, that was something which uh, through my childhood and youth inspired me and also led me to, to move to the police. And I had a very rough waking up when I entered the police around this. So uh, the fighting skills in, in, in the German police were, um, it was very targeted and very effective. So the baseline was Jiu-Jitsu. However, it was not uh, within a logical system to, to learn how to do certain techniques. It was taking techniques from different levels, like uh, sometimes it was really easy techniques. Sometimes it was level, uh, a level from, I don't know, uh, third Q or um, uh, second Q or sometimes Shodan level. Uh, and putting this all together, throwing it at the students and simply practicing these techniques until, until you could do them no matter what. But it was very limited on that. So uh, in, in my police career, actually, I got really disappointed with martial arts and with what was being taught. Um, it was not that I was afraid. I, I was pretty safe and sure about how to uh, enforce certain things and how to do my work. But I felt that there was something missing. And um, I was still very, very passionate about, uh, yeah, doing, doing, um, doing martial arts and uh, learning to fight and like being really the warrior I, I was always dreaming of. So I attended, uh, um, yeah, a police martial art training to become a martial arts trainer within the police. Okay. Um, and I was set up for another big disappointment. Uh, because the guys we were training with were like two meters, big suitcases. And what we would train is like, they're grabbing your hand, they're squeezing and say, hey, do something. And I was like, yeah, you know, whatever I would do at this moment, if somebody would really do this with me, I can't do with you right now because... <laughs> That would be really dangerous, like the, the classical, like uh, kicking balls, poking eyes uh, to, to distract, to actually release the grip. And um, somehow I had the feeling I'm getting stuck and I got really frustrated. And then a friend of mine approached me. Uh, to that time I had a horse, another passion of mine. And uh, we were like um, friends from the stable and I, I came back from one of these uh, trainings and was a little bit, yeah, I learned something. And he said, like, show me, grab my wrist. I couldn't look so quick that I was like on the ground, not knowing what happened. I didn't have any pain. I just was on the ground without knowing why. And he said, well, that's Aikido. Want to come train? It took me another three months that I got into one of the trial classes and it was really love on the first sight. And that was when I was in the end of my 20s. And uh, I never got rid of Aikido anymore after that. So my, my work in the police and my increasing frustration of how they trained uh, martial arts there and my inability as, as um, just, just from my body as being a woman and not physically particularly strong 
led me to to start Aikido and um, finding a martial art I really love. So for listeners who don't know, what is Aikido? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So Aikido and... um, Apologies to all the Aikido teachers out there who have their own definitions. Um, so Aikido is a Japanese word. It's a Japanese martial art. And it uh, consists out of three syllables. Ai, Ki, and Do. And very roughly translated, without me being somebody who speaks Japanese, Ai means harmony, Ki means life force, and Do is the path, the path of practice. So Roughly translated, it's the path of practicing the harmony of life force. And that is what Aikido is about. So, so a lot of what we're doing in Aikido is um, blending with the energy of an attack and uh, dismantling it by uh, re- redirecting it to the partner and making a technique out of it. So, and, and working with a lot of principles. And... Aikido is not a very old martial art. It actually got developed in the uh, end of the 20th, beginning of the 21st century from uh, Ueshiba. And um, he developed it, uh, uh, my my history lessons are not not that good, but he developed it uh, from one of the traditional martial arts uh, into uh, something which is yeah, which was just not really graspable. So uh, Ueshiba was like one fifty, uh, fifty-five centimeters big and very tiny person. And a lot of people said he was enlightened, like like he understood how, yeah, how 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 these life forces works. I don't know about that. I never met him, and I don't know what enlightenment is. But there are old video footages where he is like working with with a lot of people and you really don't see what he is doing but something happens and i think that's the fascination um there's also like um a dogmatic risk in that so my my take on aikido is there are a lot of principles which are universal which are not um reduced on on in doing it in aikido or even in martial arts but which are applicable to life and uh this is something I, I discovered through Aikido, and I'm sure these principles are also in other arts, maybe not that sophisticated in each one of them, but they are there. And I, I like to see myself as somebody who's teaching these principles through Aikido, but also through other practices. What are some of the principles? Uh, for example, centering. Mm-hmm. Centering, like um, centering is a self-regulation tool in which I can uh, bring me in a certain state. Like if I'm very excited, I can center down. Uh, if I'm very tired, I can center up. So, so getting into a more balanced state physically, mentally, and emotionally. So this is one of the techniques related to this balance, um, related to this being grounded, um, precision, direction, uh, awareness, huge principle in Aikido, spatial awareness and focused awareness. And so Aikido is really more like the study of life, the study of life, but also then how to apply life forces to other situations and, and martial arts formats and in a combat sense. I could be oversimplifying. 
actually actually not not necessarily i think for me this is why i'm practicing aikido and we talked before the podcast a little bit in our conversation we talked about this like um there there is the question is what is the intention why you practice why you practice anything anything and the same applies for aikido you can apply or you can practice aikido just for the sake of learning the techniques or becoming uh, physically fit or uh, meeting your friends for social reasons. Um, or you can decide to uh, study how, how these principles actually, how you can take them off the mat and how you can apply them to daily life. And this is where, at least for me, the juice comes in. That is where I'm really interested because I don't really, it, it's, it's great, it's nice to stand on the mat and practice with your friends and throw each other through the, through the dojo or playing with wooden swords or wooden sticks. I love that, just for the sake of fun. Um, but for, for me, if, if it doesn't apply to, to something which is outside of the dojo, the purpose and the meaning of this is very reduced. And my sense of that is, it doesn't need to be like that. So there is, there is enough food in that which, which, is, which we can take out. And I see a lot of, of Aikidoka doing that. There are tons of books on, uh, I don't know, Aikido in business, Aikido in communication, Aikido in horseback riding. So, so all these applications, it, it looks like I'm not the only one. And certainly my teachers, Miles Kessler, um, to to call him for the first, but also Patrick Cassidy, Paul Linden, where Mark you uh, introduced you to, Mark Walsh himself. So all of them are having their background in Aikido and taking the principles and applying them to different areas. And um, so, so there seems to be like a, a pattern in that. So if we say that the reason that people come to Aikido might seem one thing on the surface, but their true intention is deeper than that. How can people start to question what their intentions are? Where can they start? How can they work towards what their true purpose is and what their reason is so that they can progress in their journey? Um, I think, I think one of the base principles uh, which applies to this is simply awareness. And awareness is not simple, but, but awareness is the base. And um, the second part is choice. So when somebody comes into a dojo and saying this, that I taught quite a lot of classes, but I never had my own dojo because I'm traveling too much. But when somebody comes into the dojo and uh, I'm welcoming them, either because I'm a teacher and senior student, then one of my first questions is, why, like, like, what brought you here? What do you want to learn? why Aikido? And then I'm getting like a sense of what the intention is. And very often with a practice, with stepping on the mat and starting to do this, other things emerge. And usually the things which uh, are most prominent for this person, where they need to work on, where they are ready to work on, these things will come up. For example, one of the things uh, can be like um, dealing with intensity. Like when you when we work with wooden swords, it's uh, it can be terrifying when when such a sword comes or when the swords just bang together. So and, and some might just enjoy this and feel empowered by that. So with stepping on the mat and practicing, um, things will come up 
which might or might not re be related to what the person's initial intention was to start this practice. And I think the task of the teacher is to uh, lead a bit of an inquiry around this. So what I like to do is um, adding a debrief to exercises. So letting people shortly come together and chat just for two minutes, like, how was that for you? What came up? What did you learn? What's your takeaway? Um, because it closes the learning circle, this, the chance for reflection um, is, is an initial or it's a crucial part in learning. So that is... Uh, That is, I think, where, where people start to discover what, what really their need is and why they pick this practice over another one. And they might decide that actually this practice is not the right one. Like, I'm passionate about Aikido. That doesn't need to count for anybody else. And that's fine too. So for listeners that are thinking about getting into any kind of a martial art, but they're they're resonating with or what you're saying is resonating with them in that, yeah, I want a teacher who can help me ask these, these powerful questions who can help guide me through my journey rather than as we were saying offline, you know, being that dictator and just telling them what has worked for me. Therefore that yeah. is going to work for you. How can people start to seek out who the true teachers are when they're starting their martial arts journey or just, even if they're thinking about changing, pivoting in their journey? I think uh, there are true teachers for, for different people. So, so there's not like, this is the teacher. For me, it was Miles was the right teacher to that time for what I wanted and needed to learn. And a part of me knew. Um, at this moment, it might be very different. So what I would suggest for people if they're like choosing a martial art or want to change a martial art is, uh, first of all, thinking for yourself, what do you want to practice? What is, what is what you want to develop? Why do you want to do a martial art? Or why do you want to, um, to change your martial art? What is missing? So this is giving, this gives already like a bit of an of a initial point To, to look what martial art could fit for me. So, for example, if I'm practicing a long time Aikido and maybe a very soft style, there, there might come up a sense of um, something is missing, maybe like intensity or fierceness. So where can I get this? So one way is to simply change the style. At least in Aikido, there are many different styles. I know you talked about karate being like having very hard styles and having probably also very soft styles. In Aikido, it's the same. You have uh, the Ki Aikido, which is relatively soft, works a lot with energy. And you have Iva Mario, which is a very hard traditional style, um, taking the lineage back to O-sensei. O-sensei means great teacher and refers to Ueshida. And... Um, so you can change style or you can look for a different martial art. So if I want to develop fierceness, maybe karate is, is the better choice or kickboxing. So, so I can really develop fire and, uh, and direction, which not every style of Aikido has. And this is just an example. And the second piece uh, regarding to finding your teacher that, There are many great takes from, uh, from teachers on, on how to find your dojo, how to know when you need to leave. 
and uh, how to how to find the right teacher for you. And as said before, I think a teacher is the right person for a right context at the right time. Um, so what I would do is uh, trying teachers out, going into dojos or martial arts school, maybe watching a couple of sessions. How's the relationship between the students? How's the relationship between the teacher and the students? Very interesting what happens off the mat, before or after class. And do I like this? Do I want to be part of this? Great. Sign up for a couple of uh, try-out lessons and go deeper. Or is that something like, I don't like this. So some kind of gut feeling or you see me like physically leaning back and going in. So if, if, if you feel something like this, it's not your school. And it doesn't mean it's a bad school. It's just not your school. And um, look for others. There, there are also a lot of martial arts schools who have different teachers. So try out different classes and see what, what reson really what resonates with you. What, what is fun? What is something which, um, where you want to keep on going? And um, yeah, where, where you feel like a, a relationship with it. Because anything, what you're doing, where, where you are not passionate about, where you um, don't feel a relationship, where it's not some ease into that, you will stop. At some point, there's coming the stopping point, and um, then you dig a little bit of a hole, but you don't really go deep. So there needs to be like some kind of leaning in and openness and, um, yeah, resonance. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying is it's very mindfulness based, which I think is something that often gets discounted at, at how important it is. So if we think about having antennas, often people are going into their martial arts journey or any new pursuit in life or, or many things that they're doing with both their antennas pointed outwards. All their attention is on how, what do other people need? What are the other people asking me to do? How can I please other people? And there's not one antenna pointing in that's asking, what do I like? What do I need? What do I want? And that's a practice that you need to develop because it doesn't come naturally to everyone. Certainly there are times when it doesn't come naturally to me. I want to default to just going into that people-pleasing mode that what does everybody else need? And it takes a second or something to snap you out until I'm assuming one time in my life when I'm probably much older, where it will just be all the time where you're always asking, what do I want? And I think especially as women, you know, that's something that we can, we can all practice is thinking, what do, what do I need? Yeah. I'm also people please and recovery. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so there, there is, there is certainly like this caring and nurturing, especially in women. Uh, simply, this is what uh, in, in evolution uh, women were trained to do. They're nurturing the family. They're, they're caring and um, more related to the uh, relational uh, things in, in the family or in the tribe. And um, yeah, there, there is a default of uh, pleasing and uh, discarding my own needs for the sake of others. And there is also some kind of like, also in martial arts or in this like warrior archetype of I need to sacrifice something in order to gain something. So I'm sacrificing myself for my family or I'm sacrificing myself for my work or for this project and this. 
And um, but there is like a holiness in that and, and like a sacredness. Like if, if I'm sacrificing, I'm like, the, I'm the hero, I'm the martyr and um, it, it needs to hurt in order to, to that I'm gaining something. And uh, again, simply being aware of, of this pattern because the moment I'm aware of, of what I'm doing, I do have a choice. I do have a choice if I want to do it or if I want to stop doing that. But awareness is really mindfulness. Awareness is the, is the base. Without awareness, this kind of development will never happen. It doesn't matter what patterns I have. If I'm a people pleaser or a carer or if I'm constantly putting my defenses up or if I'm uh, constantly emerging myself in uh, socializing the moment I'm getting stressed or making jokes. So the moment I bring awareness to that, I give myself a choice. And this is, this is a kind thing to do for myself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let's take the other end of that then. There are some people that listen to this podcast who are coaches. So if if I'm a coach and I haven't had formal training or if I'm just thinking like I want to better myself, where can teachers begin to better serve their students? Can you reframe the question? Yeah, so if if I'm listening to this and, and as we were sort of speaking about before, what are some of the things relating to mindfulness and some of the teachings of Aikido that other martial arts teachers could start to practice and bring into their practice to help them become more effective teachers? Okay, so um, there, there's so much in that. So uh, please correct me if I'm like running away into the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm not sure where to start. I, I think if, if my background is also in, in embodied coaching, so mm. my experience is um, still limited there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are again, there are principles in martial arts which I can use and which I use constantly in in coaching. So one, for example, would be um, working with uh, leadership and followership and hierarchies, which is something like a martial art dojo, no matter if it's a very traditional one or a more um, open one, there will always be a hierarchy. There will always be a teacher who tells students what to do. So I can go simply to a class and see how is my relationship with hierarchy or authority? How do I relate as a follower and how do I lead? Mm. And um, these, uh, these kind of patterns I can bring into, for example, a coaching relationship. Something we're doing in the Embodied Facilitator course, which comes directly from Aikido's Bokken coaching. Okay. Um, Bokken is a, is, um, is a wooden sword. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is it is a great way to to practice um yeah to practice with leading and following with distance with my relationship how do i lead how do i want to lead how do i follow maybe i'm pushing or i'm leading quicker than than my follower can follow um maybe i'm intimidating or i'm disconnecting so there's a lot of that in uh i can also train like very very easy strikes with them and see how how do they relate to um 
to learning a new skill? Uh, how how is their pattern around precision in uh, pleasing, making it right, or um, just I don't care? So in a in a way, the book in in coaching when we're using it, it's an uh, accelerator or an enhancer of any pattern I have anyway. So I can I can use this for certain things uh, fairly easy. Um, another principle which comes directly from Aikido or from martial arts as a as a bigger um, pillar is centering um, centering the the possibility to self-regulate i mean we we are all we are all not two years old when we when we are, we are like frustrated with throwing ourselves on the ground and having a tantrum so we do have some kind of skills of self-regulating and again it is making it conscious making it aware and having like easy tools in uh, order to um, to do that, to, to self-regulate and bringing me in a mental state in which I can respond to the situation instead, instead of um, react. Yes, yes. And I think really what we're talking about now and what we were speaking about before, it all comes back to that mindfulness and being present. And so when some people now, which I love and it's so exciting, but they're saying, well, how can I make my coaching practice more trauma-informed? You know, this is, I never thought about this. I never thought that there might be people in my class with trauma. How can I become more trauma informed? And, and I've sort of tried to help them, but really I just had like this light bulb moment when you're speaking now, which is before you can even think about becoming a trauma informed teacher, you need to become a present teacher, a mindful teacher, right? So you, you cannot be absorbed by the hierarchy and be in this power balance struggle where your purpose for teaching is to assert the fact that you know more or you have a greater belt color than somebody else over them. It's not so that you can have your students enter in competitions and win and therefore that inflates your ego. It's not anything for the purpose of inflating ego. And as we're speaking about before, it's about finding out what this person's intention is and why they're here and what they want to get out of the class instead of imposing your image of what martial arts should be onto them. And these are all questions to sit quietly and ask yourself, like, am I, what kind of teacher am I? Am I, am I a teacher? Am I a leader or am I kind of a piece of shit? You know, and it's okay if you are a little bit of a piece of shit right now. A lot of martial arts teachers are where they have, you know, there's lots of ego, there's lots of things wrapped up in that, you know, and there's so it's about politics. There's a lot yes. of politics in yes. teaching. I'm following and this is my lineage. And um, I, I think, honestly, I don't think anybody's really shit. I think it's about range. Yeah. So, so a teacher has range. So when, when I'm, when I'm teaching, and also referring to something uh, which I had the pleasure of doing last week on the Embodied Facilitator course. I was teaching an Aikido class to uh, becoming coaches mm -hmm. um, to let them learn how to center under pressure and how they relate to, to an authoritarian style. So I needed to be a very authoritarian teacher, which I'm usually not. Mm -hmm. But having a range of being author having authority towards this end and being a little bit more flexible into that end and 
taking hierarchy where it's needed, but being able to, to throw it out when it doesn't serve the purpose of the class. This is important. So it's, it's not about how I'm doing it or what I'm doing, but it is like, like what, again, what serves the context and having the range to access both ends. Yeah. And I love your ability to, to be very mindful, even with language too. I think it's part of it is the Australian thing where it's, this is quite blase with the, the junk that will kind of come out of our mouths, but, you know, and offline we were speaking about making mistakes, something you brought up too. So we're on this journey where we're, we're learning to become better teachers, better students. And we're saying, Oh, it's okay. You're going to make mistakes. Can you talk us through that? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this is actually something which one of my teachers on the police academy said. There was not much which stick with me from that time, like regarding teachings, but this particular thing did. And what he said is nobody's making mistakes because making mistakes uh, suggests there is an intention behind. And nobody has the intention to make mistakes. It doesn't make sense. So mistakes are happening. And I think we, we are living in a culture where we, um, we are under a lot of pressure. We need to do a lot of things. And um, there's not a lot of wiggle space around uh, mistakes and failures. Um, so often it gets thrown out that um, when, like, like in, in martial arts, when you win a competition or when you gain black belt, you keep on forgetting about like, like all the tears and sweat and blood and whatever it took on, on a physical, mental, emotional level. Um, and later on, people simply see the black belt or they see the, the, the poke, poke how, how you call it, like the thing you win, um, whatever it is, a medal, or they mm-hmm. see this and they see the success and they forget that there's like, that there's like a whole bunch of mistakes and failures on which this success is built. And um, when mistakes happen or when failures are happen, we tend to go into blame and shame and guilt. But if, if I'm not having the intention to make a mistake, then there's no point of feeling guilty about this or feeling shameful about this. So, so I think we need to change the language a little bit um, in relating to it that mistakes are happening. And there is a responsibility in that. So I'm not throwing out completely like, oh, mistakes happen, not my fault. <laughs> so this, this, this is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that uh, we need to find a language in expressing that mistakes are happening, which is not uh, suggesting intention and with that shame and guilt, which is in, in the end, which does or which takes the opportunity to learn from what happened. Yeah, I think like the word that I always adding on to my uh, my clients in my work as an exercise scientist is the the word yet, you know, and I think that that ties into that too where they're often saying, oh, I can't do X, you know, I can't do that yet, I can't do this. But I'm constantly saying, and I automatically say yet, but, that, you know, I can't do this and we want to say yet, you know, and where mistake comes in sometimes it's that, that same sort of thing. It's like, oh, I tried to do this, but I made a mistake. It's like, I tried to do this. These were the things that didn't work out. I haven't done it yet. But the mistake is just the, 
you know, version A. It's not even a mistake. It's yeah. if you had if you had prototype A and then prototype B, you wouldn't say I had a mistake and then I went to the next totally different thing. It's just version one, version two, version three, version four. They're right. all part of this progress, you know. The thing, like you said, the the things that are underneath building up the black belt that, yeah. that nobody notices that seem to be shoved to the side, but they're just prototype one prototype two that are all part of the the final prototype this is what it's built on yeah and i think that is uh, what a lot of japanese martial arts express in this dough in this path of practice so you have karate dough you have aikido you have um kendo for a whole bunch of others like um Uh, the the tea ceremony is uh, I think it's dado or something like that. It has also this uh, sense of a dough, which is a higher path of practice, and puts the emphasis uh, not on on gaining on on um, reaching a certain goal, but it puts the emphasis on on the practice itself. And uh, I think that's that's a nice way to to put it. That uh, it's it's a growing path. It's a higher path of practice. It's a path where you put an intention to develop something in, and every step on the path is a step in the right direction. And there is no right and wrong. There is uh, simply walking the path. And I keep on saying simple. It's it is not simple. It is absolutely not simple. But um, coming back to that. Like, like in mindfulness, when the mind goes away and I'm getting distracted, bringing the mind back to the breath or to the body. The same in, in when I'm practicing martial arts, like coming back to the path, coming back to the intention, why am I doing this? And I can, I can go in, in all kinds of directions as long as I'm getting away at some point and coming back to that. It's still the right direction. It's still the direction into... into um, yeah, and into developing whatever it is I want to develop. And your path now, let's sort of pivot a little bit because, I mean, I could talk about this forever, but in the context of a podcast, I mean, at some point we should talk about some of the other things that I'd like to talk to you about, which <laughs> is you're now developing, as I understand, an embodied program for women to learn more effective self-defence. Can you talk yeah, about that? Yeah, happy to do. So um, that is actually something I started to develop after the uh, Embodied Facilitator course. Uh, it's called Embodied Self-Defense. And the idea of that is that uh, whatever, when, whenever an attack happens, the physical assault is usually just the peak. It's like the last step. There is a whole bunch of things before which are happening where we do have influence if we are aware of what is happening. So embodied self-defense tries to teach um, women, mainly young women. That is not because I don't want to teach men, but I'm a woman and I can relate better to, to women uh, in, in a certain age, so I can transmit better into this target group. Um, yeah, I think in I that too, to... we need to be very careful. Not, we don't need to say women are a minority. So the fact that we have women's only classes isn't because we're trying to leave out men. It is because women are inherently left out of this male-dominated sport that is a realm of, that is dominated by men. And when women step into that space, they're stepping into a traditionally male space. And yeah. so as a minority, I think, you know, 
minority in this context and and globally still too we do not have equality and women don't need to dance around that to apologize to men so yeah just to to slightly butt in there and I think to say it's fine to say we do women's only classes my class is also women's only and that is because we need safe spaces right now we haven't got to the point in the world where we don't sucks but it's true yeah, definitely. In embodied self-defense, often what comes up is, is the assault with men. And the man being present would just not allow this to come up. So what I'm doing with women is actually uh, the least part is teaching them techniques. So I don't teach them like uh, kotegaeshi or like um, throwing, throwing people. What I'm teaching them is uh, embodiment, very broadly. And... Uh, what I'm teaching them is awareness and choice. So being aware of what they are doing in the body and giving them by that the choice to change this. So centering is one of the central tools I'm, I'm doing, like showing them uh, easy tools and how they can uh, notice their fear and uh, center with that. And instead of being reactive, um, meaning having a, an automatic reaction on an action imposed to them, they can respond. So they have a conscious choice of how they respond. And this, this is a huge piece of practice. So this is like also a, a couple of classes. Um, it's going to be a course, six or eight weeks or weekend workshops. We were really diving in. Um, and things I'm doing is uh, I let them walk. I let them walk, for example, in, uh, with, with certain emotions in their mind. Like, how do you walk when you're scared? Can you maybe visualize something where you feel scared on a scale from one to 10, take like a two or three maximum? So what are you doing in your body? Can you make that bigger? Like Wendy Palmer, also somebody who's coming from Aikido, she's working with exaggeration and contrast as, as a coaching tool. So I'm letting them exaggerate whatever they are doing in the body and then contrast with can you do the opposite of what you're doing now? Like if I'm like getting scared and taking my shoulders up and tucking my chin in my, my chest goes, what is the opposite of this? Well, I let my shoulders down. I bring them back. Wow. I can breathe in my chest again. So this kind of, um, <clears throat> of, of awareness practice um, and centering practice, this is part of embodied self-defense. What is also part of embodied self-defense is using the voice. What I noticed in a couple of embodiment workshops and also in my own um, real life is that the voice is a powerful tool which a lot of women have not fully access to. And I don't need to have a physical contact to use the voice. I don't need to be particularly strong or particularly um, skilled for that. The voice is there and accessible for most people. Saying most, there are also people who don't have this tool. So to, to uh, come to a story from, from what happened to me a couple of weeks ago here in Maastricht, that uh, I was walking on the, on the river and there was somebody coming towards me, <clears throat> obviously having uh, mental health issues. It was very hot and he had like a jacket and a lot of, of bags. And there was a fence on the one side and parking cars on the other side. Middle of the day, a lot of people around. And he started to charge at me, like trying to cut my way. 
and like going into this like attack mode. And I yelled at him. I yelled at him, stop as loud as I could without that my voice would like uh, uh, slip into higher octaves. And he got terrified and went out of the way. A lot of people turned around, not noticing what was happening. And a couple approached me like, it was good that you were yelling at him. And I thought, yeah, it was good. Good that I practiced that. And that was for me like, wow, that was really easy. That could have gone really, really wrong. But um, simply noticing what was happening before he would attack and using the voice as the first, uh, yeah, uh, as, uh, yeah, the first step on, on the escalation level. Mm. So I don't need to do anything. I just need to know or stop and uh, stepping into this power. And in a workshop I did, I was doing a centering practice with yelling. And I noticed that a lot of people got really, really stressed by yelling themselves. Not, not even yelling or, or receiving somebody yelling at you. But stepping into this power got people terrified. And it was really, really fascinating. So using this tool as, as a very easy self-defense practice because it attracts attention and it terrifies your attacker because you, you, don't, you don't like uh, fold or run away. It, it gives you time, it shocks. Yeah. So this is, this, these kind of things is what I'm doing in embodied self-defense. And there is a little bit of technique, but it's mainly in uh, being aware of what you're doing in your body and how can I consciously choose a body which makes me of a, a less of an attractive victim. So I can be I can be sexy and with short skirts and uh, and still very powerful and badass. Nobody will touch me. And so, for anyone who hasn't kind of figured it out yet, can you just really define what embodiment is? <laughs> embodiment is awareness and choice, or knowing how I am and uh, choosing how I want to be. So you so could em- you could embody power. You could. Think that you want power and you could then take that on in your body or you could practice embodying fear and embody the opposite of fear. Yeah, exactly. And the the thing is like power, power, like like embodying power. Amy Cuddy did uh, years ago, I think 2012, she did this TED Talk with the power poses. That's embodiment. Yes, I love that one. It's, it's, it's very simple. So this one was, uh, is, is very simple. That goes much, much deeper. There's much, much more into that. But if I can, before an interview, I can just go into a power pose, uh, like one of the archetypes. I don't know, Freddie Mercury, like, yeah! It changes how I feel. I can go into passion, like, like one Marcus teaching about it, yoga principles. There's a passion pose, which is like, yeah! And if people try this out, like bringing the chest up, bringing the back, like, yeah. Yeah. This, this changes my state. And it's very, very short. And it's very, very accessible if I know what to do. If I'm aware where I am, then I can counterbalance this. And it, this is self-regulation. So power is taking responsibility to change my state 
and um, being able to do this. And that's a skill. That's a skill which you can learn. That's a skill you can develop. And um, this is what embodiment teaches. And uh, in embodied self-defense, these are things where, where we work on. Like what, yeah, basically it's just noticing um, how am I and how do I want to be. And the whole path in between, this is the tools I'm teaching. So if, if I'm scared and I want to be powerful, how do I get there? What can I do? And there are multiple ways which work for different people uh, in, in different intensity. And if people want to work with you to get into doing embodied self-defense, is it happening yet? Where can they find you? Where can they find it? I, I'm really, I'm really bad with these things. I'm very, very immersed at the moment in the embodiment conference. So I put this uh, embodied self-defense uh, project a little bit on hold until uh, the end of the year. However, there will be a website uh, coming out very soon, uh, which is called embodimentingermany.de, um, which has information about the Embodied Facilitator course in German, but also about embodiment, uh, embodied self-defense. However, this website is being built at this moment and will be out probably uh, in the end of the year earliest. Mm -hmm. So um, if people want to find more about me, I would definitely invite them to come to the Embodiment Conference. I'm like around there all the time. And... Um, there you can also reach me either on Facebook or um, on uh, on the email address for the Embodied Facilitator course. So there, there are different ways to reach me, but it's nothing yet official because putting one project on, on, the, on the pedestal and sacrificing a little bit other projects for that in order to make it good, but it's going to come, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, the end of the year is not that far away, so it's September now. The conference is next month. Uh, yes. So for, any, <laughs> for anyone who is not yet aware of the Embodiment Conference, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you're definitely going to want to be signed up to the Embodiment Conference. It's totally free. Uh, it's going to be like the greatest couple weeks of TV that you've ever watched if you're interested in healing from trauma, being in your body, Um yeah, the speakers are incredible. The like the, the headlining speakers are incredible. There are so many white more speakers. I'm speaking, not to say that I'm that incredible, but you can definitely come and try uh, trauma informed kickboxing, and the fight back project. So it's it's going to be an incredible couple of weeks. So definitely get onto uh, the embodimentconference.org, which will put all of the details for that. Your Facebook. Uh, we'll put the website pending in the show notes as well so if anyone listens to this in the future you know then they can they yeah, can go and check you the out website as soon as it's up and the embodiment conference has a whole martial art channel so it's 100 speakers talking about martial uh, martial and healing arts it's the whole uh, channel so 100 of speak 100 speakers around the clock talking about all different approaches in martial arts and how they use it so that that will be pretty exciting. And there's a whole channel around trauma as well. So you can ping pong between those. Yeah, exactly. It's it's going to be, I don't even know. I don't even think I have words for it. It's just, it's just so in the body. <laughs> how, how fun it, like, and how incredible the internet is, I think, you know, like 
just through having my podcast, talking to other people, meeting Mark, meeting you, all these conversations that we have, you know, every time we have these conversations, somebody else hears and they take away just little bits of things and maybe they even interpret them differently to how we intended it to be spoken, but it benefits them in some way. And I think that's just amazing. And it's something that no matter how bad the pandemic gets, no matter how bad the state of the world gets, that really can't be taken away is this connection that we have to the rest of the world and our ability to take on new things and apply them to ourselves and continue to grow. So it's, it's really quite beautiful. Yeah, the internet is amazing. I mean, you're, you're also, you're teaching your project online, which I could have done, but it was too much of a task before the conference. So really admiring this and discovering new ways of, um, we, we talked before like this uh, practicing kicks uh, online uh, with, with people having uh, problems with trauma and having a strong response and having this physical bar barrier between a kick and um, receiving the kick because on other ends of the computer. Uh, this, is, this is an amazing way to calibrate what you can't do in real life. So there are things in, in what the internet offers, what real life doesn't or just to a limited extent. It's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. I think sometimes it's easy to get bogged down in all oh, this, this, you know, it's not the same as in real life or we miss real life. And of course, like there are days where you're really angry and frustrated with the whole situation of the world, but there's always just some little things that are not even just, oh, it's okay. It's the, this is actually even better. You just yeah. have to have your mind open to be ready to to see the good things that are out there. Yeah, I think it's it doesn't it's not supposed to be the same. It is different. Aikido is not supposed to be the same like jiu-jitsu or kickboxing. It is different, and comparing it is uh, not not um, not really uh, helping both. So comparing real life classes with online classes, it's again it's a different intention. It's the question is what intention i'm entering the class with and this is what i'm practicing and as we wrap up the podcast are there any final words that you want to share a majority of the listeners to this podcast are women so a message to women or a message to the world anything else you want to share with people uh, many things i'm trying to put it in in short words i think what i want to share is you have you have it already in you no matter where you are, you have it already in you. And when, when you struggle with things, like remember that, that the path, the path is what is relevant. And we all, like even the people you look up to, went through a lot of difficulties. So you're just right where you are and you have it in you and you can, you can step into your power. I love it. That was perfect and beautifully succinct. You did it. <laughs> nice. All right, Daniela, I, that is us. Thank you so much for coming on the Fight Back podcast. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for listening to the Fight Back podcast. Please give me a like on YouTube, leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Thank you to Nari for the beautiful song Shape Me, which is heard at the beginning and the end of this episode. Nari wrote this song about Shape Your Life, which is a boxing program for self-identified female survivors of violence in Canada. She wrote this song using the words and experiences shared by participants with Kathy Van Ingen. And you can find out more about Shape Your Life in my interview with Kathy, with Kathy, um, in episode eight of the Fightback podcast. And of course, you can hear more of Nari's work by going to her Instagram at Nari the Saga. See you next time. You need to know that nobody shapes me but me. Don't gotta tell you what my name is, I don't gotta explain it. Walk in the room, hear a boom erupting like I'm famous. I'm here shedding shells, I'm shameless. Half in nothing, no complacence. Walk to many tight ropes with no hope, so I became this poster they hold over all the heads of trauma holders. You don't need to know my history, I move boulders. Atlas shrug, cause I lifted the weight above his shoulders. No pretense of defense, move first like chess soldiers. This goes deeper than empowerment, cause huh, I'm the one that power it. Physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring. If I can't change the scenery, at least I change perspectives. No longer isolated, but elevated and selective. Darkest places become beautiful spaces. This is where rage meets patience. Meets power meets gracious. Meets we're so glad you came and the feeling is contagious. When you the walking impact of intended bad intentions. When you the manifesting of collecting all they tensions. You the soul and body hold it all and still remember. But I'm a work in progress, testament to all contenders. Forgot what it was like to have control over self. Forgot what it was like to be the one in charge. Forgot in my reflection I can see all my wealth. Forgot that with my bare hands I break all these bars, barriers and obstacles. They can't cage me. They can't chronicle all my experiences and reduce them to appearances when i was truly beaten gave myself clearances to fall down mess up and get myself back up i'm not looking for clovers because i don't believe in luck damn you were badass i heard them say it clearly why thank you very much i know now i'm not weary of what's next for me because i expect to see growth like i was planted watered fed and bloomed to be the positivity and accountability no one they won't step if I'm the agent of my agency. I think I found my voice again, huh? I think I found my voice again, huh? I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, you're the end where I begin. Boundaries, I know them well. Take a breath and meditate. Who is she? I know her well. Now I get to open gates. One, two, one, two. I don't need your permission. And if you get uncomfortable, then use your intuition to know that I won't stay where respect is ever missing. And everything I do, that's me making decisions. It's truly underrated the value of self worth. Forget that I was rich from the moment of my birth. A penny for my thoughts, no, really, you can't afford it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it, huh?